begin in Genesis 3 today. Very familiar portion of scripture. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And the enemy of our soul always comes and says what is pleasing to the ear, uh, what many times touches the uh, core of the nature that we were born with. For God knows that in the day that you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and we know the story would happen. And then in verse 22, so here you have in the, in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both things. And here the enemy entices her to take of the tree. Uh, he, she, he says to her, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I believe that in the heart of man, there always is, has been, and even you can see, even see this even now, this quest for knowledge. Um, people go and they study, they go to a university or whatever, whatever. It doesn't have to be in a college setting. People like to get into things and, and study and learn and have knowledge, whether it's in the computer field or, or any field. That something many times is, is moving in man is just this desire to be wise. In verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. It's to know good and evil, to know knowledge, understanding. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent uh, him, him and her out of the Garden of Eden uh, to till the ground where he was taken and he drove man out or he drove out the man and the woman. And so Eve had this desire to be wise. She had this desire to see, to understand. But what she saw and what she received was not what she thought she was going to get. It wasn't what she expected. She got the unexpected in her life. And so partaking of, or better yet, saying it this way, receiving wisdom or knowledge through disobedience never produces what God intends. So there is a knowledge that can come to man through disobedience. It's not, it's not good. But God desired, even from the very beginning, to give man knowledge but to give him knowledge through a certain path or a certain way, or you could say through obedience. That was the set way in which Adam and Eve were to receive the knowledge of God. And I want to look in Hosea chapter 4. I'd like to really stay in Hosea, but we'll just read a few verses here. 
So there is a knowledge that can be gained through disobedience. And there's a knowledge that could be gained through obedience. Two different things moving in different directions. The turning point there, as we see in Genesis, is the will of man. Eve was created, Adam was created with his own free and her own free will. And we all are created with our own free will. And we can decide certain things. We can do certain things. Uh, We can set our heart toward knowledge and move in disobedience like Eve did. And we will obtain knowledge, but not the knowledge of God. We'll receive some type of knowledge. Uh, Their eyes, it says, their eyes were opened. Well, they saw good and evil with their eyes, but they experienced the evil with the eyes of their heart or their spirit. Because now, because they were disobedient, oh, my eyes are open. Now, what has happened here in me? Something has taken place that had never taken place before. And that same pattern still is at work today in the world and can still be at work today in the Christian's heart. So if I desire knowledge, and the knowledge is okay, as long as it is the desire and the Lord giving, as long as the the time element, the time frame is correct. In other words, that God will give us knowledge in his time. Then that thing produces something different. It produces life within us. But if I say, well, I want to know or I want knowledge, and I reach forth and obtain that through disobedience like Eve did, then that which comes to me, to my heart, to my life, now is corrupt, it's sinful, and it doesn't produce anything of the Spirit of God within. Now, if you look at the history of Israel, you will see a continual reaching forth to something else. We see in Exodus and in some of the earlier books, there was always this idolatry you know, the idol, and there was a reaching forth to that. Uh, In Hosea, you see the same pattern. Now, in various places in the Old Testament, uh, most of the time there was idolatry, but there were other things also, uh, immorality, sexual immorality, and so forth with the Israelites, and it seems as though every generation had their problem. The only generation... Other than seeing the remnant, there's always the remnant there in in Israel. But apart from that, the only generation that the Lord was able to do something with was the generation uh, that Joshua lived in that went into the Promised Land. And that was only a temporary thing because if you read in Joshua, it says that they served the Lord all the years that Joshua was alive and and the elders, the elders of Israel. And once they passed off the scene, uh, 
then their hearts began again to reach forth to something else. So the Lord desires a reaching forth from us to Him. Now in Hosea, I want to read some verses because the spiritual climate did not change with the Israelites generation after generation. Some generations were a little better, if you want to say it that way. Uh, you can look at the kings in Israel, for example, and compare the kings in Judah. And there were some, I don't know, 17, 18 kings of Israel. And there were about the same, maybe a few more in Judah. But with the kings in Judah, there was only a handful, maybe three kings that served the Lord. That's it. With Israel, there were none. Out of 17 or 18 kings, whatever it was, there was not one king who personally served the Lord, and there wasn't one king that was able to direct the nation toward God or toward the knowledge of God. And so all the prophets had to deal with this. Jeremiah, it's funny because, I don't want to go back too far here, but just to give you kind of like an overview, of all the kings and all the years that Israel, you know the, how you have the northern kingdom broke away from Rehoboam? Okay. They, 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 um, Jeroboam was the king over the, the, the ten northern kingdoms. Make a long story short, I was looking at this, and there was only two prophets sent to them. And I thought, why was that? One was Jonah, and he was not too interested too, too much in Israel. I mean, I don't know if he would prophesy in Israel or not, but he, he was sent on a mission to Nineveh. But Judah, the, the um, southern kingdom, the kingdom where there was a few good kings over its three or 400, 500 years, whatever it was, God sent a lot of different prophets. But the message was the same. It was repent. So they lacked the knowledge of God because of their heart condition. They, they did not know the Lord, or as, as Hosea puts it, the knowledge of God, to know Him. That was absent from them because they were not too interested in moving that way. There was no repentance in the heart of the people or in the kings. And so Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So they did not have a knowledge based on obedience. They may have known about the temple and what the priests are supposed to do and all the different functionings, you know, the, the traditions and everything the way it was supposed to be. But as far as a personal knowledge of the Lord, they did not have that because you cannot have that being in disobedience. So the knowledge that they had was, was not what it should be. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Well, why is that? 
uh, you know, think about this. We'll, we'll take this, he's talking about the nation, of course, the individual. But take that now and place that in the realm where we live here. My people are, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So one of the aspects of knowledge is that the Lord gives that to you for direction in your own personal life. And, and that is missed many times. We want to know all these different things about God. You know, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, and all this. We want to know that, but we are destroyed in our personal life if we do not have knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord, being the direction of God that we need to walk in personally for us to keep us from destruction. My people were destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But if we have the knowledge of God, we have this understanding, we see him and walk with him, then there is no destruction. We're not destroyed for a lack of knowledge because we have knowledge and now we can walk in the ordained path and move along the line that the Lord has ordained for us, and, and there's no destruction there. So my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because, and he mentions two things here, because you have rejected knowledge, so the Lord is faithful, and he, he brings a knowledge to us that relates to where we are uh, spiritually and where we function, where we live. He'll bring a knowledge of himself there and, and he'll say, okay, this is, this is it right before you. This is what you do. And that's all we need to know. It's all we need to do. And when we do that, we take another step and then he brings more and so on. So he mentions two things here. He mentions that uh, they had rejected knowledge and he says, I, will, well, um, I also will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of God. So there was rejection of um, the knowledge, and they forgot. Well, what did they forget? Well, they forgot the law. They forgot what the Lord had said. Basically, when, when you see that in the Bible, that they forgot, it's talking about that they were disobedient because forgetfulness will lead someone in a line of disobedience. So when, when we move in disobedience, we forget the Lord. We're not too, you know, interested in Him. But if we're walking in obedience, then there's no, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no forgetfulness. You know, we, we see the Lord, we see what He's bringing and so forth. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 7. The more they increased the more they sinned against me. Well, that's quite something. Now go to chapter 6 in Hosea. Now remember, the prophet <coughs> is still dealing with the nation, the people that don't want the Lord. They're, they're interested in other things. They're moving and dwelling in their sin. <coughs> and so he says here, he's, he's the mouthpiece of the Lord. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. 
And then in verse 3, the King James says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. Uh, the New King James says it this way, Let us know and let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Now, truly obtaining the knowledge of the Lord, you understand, is not just some understanding or knowledge of Him. It's talking about a knowledge of Him and that bringing us into this closeness or this relationship. The knowledge of the Lord is not something that we have in our head, but it is to be had in the heart. It's not something, something that we reason with our mind, but that we affirm in our heart that we're going to go this particular direction, and, and that leads to Him. And so he says, let us pursue the knowledge of the, of the Lord. He says, His going forth is established as the morning. So when you wake early in the morning before the sun comes up, let's say you get up at 6 o'clock, and the sun rises. The Lord has established the rising of the sun, and that's like synchronous. It sets, it rises, it sets, it rises. And he says here that his going forth is established as the morning, as, as the dawn. His going forth, what does that mean? Well, his going forth or his movement toward those who have an interest in the knowledge of God. His going forth is established as the morning. Peter says, um, as the day star arises in our heart, so that, that the Lord arises, or the Lord brings revelation to you on a personal basis, his, the knowledge of the Lord, so that you see and understand and know him. So the day star arises in our heart. His going forth is established as the morning. And he will come to us like the rain, like the, the latter and former rain to the earth. Well, what's that all about? What's the latter and former rain? What's the purpose of the latter and for, former rain? There's another scripture I wanted to look at here. Where is it? Turn to Hebrews. Hold your place. I want to come right back here, I think. Hebrews 6. I, Isaiah, I put this in my notes. Isaiah, Isaiah says, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So he's talking about salvation. He's talking about a revelation of the Lord that has arisen in darkness, in the hearts of people that were were dark and now the light has risen. The day star has risen as far as salvation as it has for us initially. And then as we walk with the Lord, the day star arises and he brings revelation and, and what have you and wisdom and understanding and a knowledge of God for us personally to walk a certain way uh, as far as um, this life is concerned. But the former and the latter ring. Hebrews 6. Does anybody know the purpose of the former and the latter ring? 
there's a scripture in Genesis. It talks about uh, Jacob, and he was sleeping. Remember, he was sleeping on the rock? Puts the rock under his head. I don't know how comfortable that would be, but puts a rock under his head. And when he, he falls asleep, he dreams, and he sees these angels going up and down. And when he awakens, he says, I knew not that the Lord was in this place. And so he names the place Bethel, meaning house of God, place of God. He did not know that the Lord was there. And in our walk many times, the Lord surprises us. And here we are, we're not maybe not even thinking about the Lord. And all of a sudden, this day star arises in our heart and we see the Lord or we have revelation of the truth or, or something happens there and we see the Lord a little differently or we see him in a way we never saw him before and we say like Jacob, I did not know that the Lord was here, was in this. And the Lord can be in circumstances that we would say initially, I don't believe he's in. See, in our thinking many times, we limit the Lord. We say that, you know, this circumstance, okay, the Lord can touch, he can heal, he can uh, do whatever I see that the Lord works in this. You know, coming to church, I know the Lord is here. But we go to work, we might have a different idea, especially if we're working with people that are just constantly difficult to work with. And, you know, you're in the situation. And if you wait for the Lord and you wait for the day star to arise in your heart, he will show you something in that situation and you will find out that the Lord was here, was there in that situation. And I remember I worked with an individual and it was... He was the worst person I ever worked with. And I, and I worked with him for a couple of years. <laughs> and I said, Lord, you know how we are. I, the Lord didn't stretch me enough at that point. But uh, I said, you know what, I, Lord, I hope he goes elsewhere and works. <laughs> but I was graceful to him and, you know, befriended him and what have you. But when he left, I wasn't sad <laughs> at all. And I thought, wow. Man, Whew. now he won't test my, you know, quality anymore. I had enough. And it wasn't too long after that, another fellow came to work directly with me, and he was probably 50 times worse. He was the worst person. And I worked with a lot of people in a lot of places over the years. He was the worst. And I said, Lord... Why did you bring this fellow along? And I knew why. But to make a long story short, I found out that the Lord was there. The Lord was in that. Even though I didn't really care for it, after a period of time being in this, and this lasted about five years, I would say, five or six years, after a period of time being in that, something happened in me to where it didn't matter anymore, if you understand what I'm saying. I could walk in whatever it was, it was, it was, it was fine. 
And this individual at one point was even mocking me as a Christian. And I was smiling and enjoying it. I said, what in the world's going on with me? <laughs> Is something wrong? But he was actually mocking me. and you know, Go ahead, preach the gospel. He said, I won't say what he said. And go ahead, preach it. Go ahead, preach it. And I just grinned at him and let him talk and was enjoying it. Was enjoying it. And then after he finished, I said, you know, the gospel you're mocking is exactly what you need. But the point is that at first, it seemed as though the situation was just not too much of good could come from it. I just wanted to basically just get it over with. I didn't want out of it. I wanted to get it over with, if you know what I'm saying. So the Lord showed me that he was in that place. He was there, just like what Jacob said. He was in that. Now, in Hosea, he says that he will, he will come as the morning. And, you know, he's, it's ordained as, as the rising of the sun in the morning. That he will come. Then he mentions this, the latter and the former rain. What is the purpose of the latter and the former rain? The purpose of it is growth and maturity. So if you take that into the natural, and their seasons over there were different. They got the, uh, the former rain like in October, and then the latter rain was, you know, so many months later. But in, in the natural, the former and the latter rain, we can compare that to our seasons. The former rain would be the springtime where you get the rain and the seeds, and then the seeds start to, um, you know, bud and root not bad, but root, and start to grow. And eventually you get toward the end, the latter rain, and that brings the thing to maturity. And so the former and the latter rain deal with growth, and it deals with maturity. Now in Hebrews 6, just to show you this, verse 7, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. So here you see the rain, and the rain comes uh, upon the earth, upon um, the seed, and it bears herbs useful for those who cultivated it. So you see growth and maturity. So now, going back to Hosea... Chapter 6, verse 3. Let us, uh, let us know and let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. See, so that's to be in our heart that we want the knowledge of the Lord. And what I mean, and I want you to think just some knowledge or biblical knowledge, it's a knowledge of Him. The knowledge of the Lord is the knowledge of Him. So, so if that is, that's our desire and that's moving in our heart, then his going forth is established as the morning, and he will come to us like the rain. See, so there is to be a desire for the knowledge of God, or there is to be a desire in our heart for him. And if that is there, he will come as the rain, and he will give us rain in season. Now, you know you have four seasons, and one of the seasons there's a rest, there's, a, you know, a... a um, there's no growth in the winter. Uh, there seems like nothing is going on. Everything is dead. 
and then you come into spring, and then the rains come, and then you see this growth. So that all typifies certain areas of time in our life as Christians. But he'll, he'll come to you and I in his time, and he will bring growth and maturity. But see, there must be a desire for him, a desire for the knowledge of God. He will come like the latter and the former rain. Now, I like verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I say, uh, excuse me, what shall I do to you, O Judah? What shall I do to you? For your, this is, this is what he says of the people. Now, this is significant here in this. He says, for your faithfulness is like uh, a, a morning cloud. What happens to a morning cloud? You look up, no, there's a morning cloud, and before you know, it's gone, right? And like the, the early dew, it goes away. So the dew comes, and then after a period of time, it's gone, short period of time. So he says to the people that your faithfulness to me, to, to the God, to the Lord, is as a morning cloud or as the dew. It's just a very short thing. So how can the people have a knowledge of God without faithfulness? You can't. See, I must have a faithfulness to him. That faithfulness brings me into, and listen, it brings me into a heart knowledge of God. I'm not talking about just picking up the Bible and studying and learning about knowledge and wisdom in the Lord. That's one thing. That is designed to bring a heart knowledge. The Word of God, when you were born again, birthed from above, that no longer, even though that's in the Bible, that was not just something in letter. You see, now it becomes spirit and life. It becomes a part of you, and now you have a heart knowledge of that scripture. It's not just, well, I know you must be born from above. You must be born again. Or you can't see the kingdom of God. Well, I know that in my head I can memorize the scripture. But the Lord's not interested in that. He's interested in what that can produce, a heart knowledge of him. So true faithfulness will bring a heart knowledge of God. Whereas a lack of faithfulness or no faithfulness may give us, we may still have an understanding of where scriptures are in the Bible. John 3, 16. You know, Romans, you know, 3, 18. We may be able to quote those, but that's not the point. The point is that there is a, a knowledge of the Lord that we miss. So he says, and, and this is what he's saying to them. He says, your faithfulness is like the morning cloud. It's, it's going to be so it's going to be gone. So now in verse 6, you know that the Lord has desires. He has all kinds of desires. If you study the Bible and you look at different areas of the scripture, it even comes straight out and says it. Others are not as clear to see, but many of them are very clear. And this is one of them. The Lord has desires. So you don't have to pray and say, Lord, what is your desire? 
Let's read his desire. Verse 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So he desires that we would have a knowledge of him more than what we can do for the Lord or what we can sacrifice personally for the Lord. I mean, that may be good. We know that in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were ordained. God ordained the priest to give the sacrifices, you know, for the people to bring the sacrifices. He's not saying, you know, that doesn't mean anything. It does mean something. But he's saying that what's more important is the knowledge of God so that when you bring that sacrifice, it is what it should be. Not just tradition, not a formal thing, not just the head knowledge of what the law says. No, it goes far beyond that. And now it becomes something that's down in the individual. So, you know, like Leviticus, you study Leviticus. I studied Leviticus and taught it, I think I taught it twice. And that's quite an astounding book. But one of the things that's hidden there, we always see all the formality of what they had to do. The Lord was interested in the priests coming into a personal knowledge of him. Not just to function as the priest, if you, you know what I'm saying, to do the sacrifices and, you know, all, all the different things they did and to partake of that and so forth. That wasn't it. There was to be a knowledge of God. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Levite, and I'm not going to eat the, the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, the dietary laws say that I'm not. Well, that's okay. That should be. But what about the knowledge of God? That's the important thing. So remember that the priest had to go through certain sanctification rites, you know, certain things that they had to do for cleansing and what have you. And it wasn't just to cleanse the outer body or the outer garments. See, that was to be a cleansing of the outer and the inner, not just the outer. So you could formally go through the washings, and Jesus dealt with the same thing. You know, he says, you know, you, you wash the cup. I think that's what he said, but you're not thought the inside? You're not interested in the inside? Washing the cup on the inside? So there is to be both things working there. The priest was to go through certain cleansings on the outward, and there was to be a response to the Lord on the inside, and that was going to bring the knowledge of God. So the Lord desires mercy, and he desires the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, let's go to Job. The psalmist says this, Be still and know that I am the Lord. Be still and know. Now, does that, is that referring to initial salvation? I don't think so. The communication from the Lord to the psalmist, and I don't know if that was the sons of Korah or David, I think it was the sons of Korah, but they were... Um, you want to use the term saved, they were believers, they were in the, um, the whole sphere of the Israelites and the law and all that. 
they experienced salvation. And the Lord says, be still and know that I am Lord, the Lord. I'll take care of your land. I'll take care of the nations. Be still and know. So there is something that many times can go on in our inner man that keeps us from being still and knowing he is the Lord. And it can be circumstances. It can be all kinds of things. But the point is that there is a knowing that the Lord wants us to move into. That's why he says, be still and know that I am Lord. And that, he can say that to us many times in many different situations. We can be in a circumstance, and the circumstance you know, is overwhelming. We don't know what to do. It's difficult. We don't know what direction to turn. And so our hearts can be so overwhelmed and under something that we forget that. But see, be still and know that I am the Lord, and I will come to you as the former and the latter rain and bring increase, bring growth, and bring maturity into your life if you are still and know that I am the Lord, and you are desiring, as Hosea says, desiring the knowledge of the Lord. Not so that you can spot off scriptures, but a personal knowledge of Him in your circumstance today, whatever it may be. So, whatever it may be, be still and know that He is Lord. Be still and wait for him in our situation. So you're in something, you're out of something. You know, circumstances change. Five years from now, you might be in something different. That still is applicable. Be still and know that I am the Lord. But many times we just forget. Um, In Job 19, verse 1. So this is after different his friends, uh, Bildad and others, are talking back and forth with Job. Verse 1, Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me, or how long will you torment my soul, and break me in pieces with words? And we know what's going on here. They're saying one thing, and the Lord, the Lord is in the life of Job and in the circumstances here um, trying to work on Job. And he comes to this saying here that he gives his friends. And when he says this, he is saying it from the perspective of where he is spiritually as to where they are spiritually. They're they're in a different place. They're not where he is. And so he says in verse 25, he doesn't say, that I know about the Lord. See, knowing about the Lord is one thing. There are many denominations that the, the members or the leaders of that denominations know about the Lord. There was an individual that I know, he's a priest, and he knows about the Lord. 
But I don't know whether he really knows the Lord. I hope to bring that up someday here. But knowing about the Lord and knowing the Lord are different. And so Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand uh, at and and he shall stand at last on the earth. So there was in the heart of Job a knowledge of God. And whenever his friends, they come and they, they bring all these different things, they bring, someone bring truth. They're telling him truth, truth, those different truth. But see, Job had a knowledge of the Lord that was missing in these others. Because if they had the knowledge of the Lord, they would not have said some of the things that they said. So Job says, I know my Redeemer liveth. Um, I'll read this. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. This is speaking to the Lord. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. You will make me to know wisdom. And the setting for that was David's sin with Bathsheba, and he's coming to the Lord. And the Lord showed David, and this is really something, he showed David his knowledge, or put it another way, David saw the knowledge of the Lord even in his error. Even in his error. He learned, he knew, he saw. Um, Let's go to a couple more scriptures. 2 Peter. I'm going to go to Hebrews here. Second Peter 3.18. So Peter says, But grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we are to grow. We know we are to grow in grace. But he says to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not meaning to learn about him. He's talking about having a relationship with him, moving in this growth and maturity of the the former and the latter reign. See, that brings about a knowledge of God. That brings about our growth. And that's uh, our growth is not how long we've been a Christian. Our growth is in the watering and in our not rejecting and not forgetting him and allowing the watering to produce something as we're still and know that he is the Lord. The watering does something. It brings about growth. We start to grow. So you can have someone who's been a Christian for 10 years, and you can have someone who's been a Christian for two years, and the person has been a Christian for two years can outgrow the, the person who's a Christian for 10 years. So you know, that doesn't happen in the natural, but in the spiritual it can happen. You know, based upon the receiving of the former and latter rain, there's a, there's a growth. And, and what happens is there's a knowledge of God that's brought in that. And so he says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll read a couple verses from Hebrews 8. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And of course, the writer to Hebrews is quoting something from the Old Testament. I think it's Isaiah or, or one of those books. Um, 
and he's quoting that, and it's referring also to the New Testament. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. So there's a knowledge of the Lord he's talking about. And the knowledge of the Lord comes by writing, what's it say, writing his laws upon the mind and upon the heart. Not upon, just upon the mind, not just scripture memorization, not just knowing about the Lord, but both of them writing upon the mind and writing upon the heart. Now, when that happens, all shall know the Lord. The, all those that have this writing, the Spirit of God writes upon the fleshly tablets of your heart, or he writes upon the Spirit that is within you. He writes, and he writes, and he writes, and he writes. He goes on, writes. What's he writing? What's he writing? He's writing the knowledge of the Lord. So when now, when he does enough writing in your life, and you walk along, oh, okay, I know, this is the way I, I should go. You just know. It's not that the Lord always speaks. It's that he puts it in your heart that you just know that this is the way you should go. It's, I mean, that's how it works with me many times. Just the Lord just, I, I'm not sure about something, then all of a sudden it's like, I know in my spirit that's the way to go. How does that happen? I don't know, but I know that he writes upon the fleshly tablets of the heart. And he writes what he desires. And that is the knowledge of the Lord for you and I. The direction of the Lord for you and I. The desire of the Lord for you and I, the knowledge of God. Now in... Two more scriptures. Turn to Ezekiel. Let me read this from Ephesians. And to know, Paul says this, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Let me go and read this directly here. To know the love of Christ, which, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled, you may be filled. See, the Lord does that, but it's, it's possible not necessarily a guaranteed thing, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you would, you would possess or hold a fullness that you didn't have before. And see, you and I can't have that without this desire for him or, or a desire for the knowledge of the Lord. Now, in Ezekiel, the last chapter, I, I like this verse, it's chapter 48. Now, what he's describing here in this last chapter is the boundaries of the Holy Land. And remember, who is the temple of the Holy Ghost? We are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we actually become, in a manner of speaking, his land. And I like this verse, I don't know why, but I just, I just like what it says. Verse 35, the last verse of Ezekiel. 
all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Well, where is the Lord? Well, he is there. He's there. Not just because you're a Christian. That's different. I'm not talking about that aspect. I'm talking about the knowledge of God imparted to you and I because we are walking a certain way with the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. And that is quite a testimony to have. Quite a testimony. The knowledge of the Lord. To have that. Not to know about it. But to have it and for it to operate and function in our personal lives is tremendous. Nothing that we could do to bring that other than just open up our hearts to Him. Water, he that believeth, scripture.